0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Abram Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex. And though I'm not with Reuven Yeshua Pupko, our rabbi in Cote Saint Luke, Montreal, because Rabbi Pupko is unavailable this week. So I turn to someone that I know. Also, from that same period where I met Rabbi Pupko, so many years in Neri Row in Baltimore, Rabbi Jonathan Rosenblatt, who I think could also clearly have that title of emeritus rex, someone who has been a rov for many, many years and knows the world of the rabbinate very, very well. Rabbi Rosenblatt, thank you so much for filling in here today. Um, and uh, I hope this will just be the first uh, that you've basically been a, a, a minister. You've been ministering mostly to what we would call uh, the modern Orthodox Jewish communities. And that's probably.
1: Uh, I say that with no shame.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. And, and, and therefore, and, and in many ways, the communities that aren't just getting the brekalach of modern Orthodoxy, but I think the, the, actually the, the, the cutting edge of modern Orthodoxy. I think can, it can easily be said both of those places, uh, Teaneck and, uh, and and Riverdale. And uh, I was so, of course, to, to be in Riverdale for a couple of years and a very, very into it who have done it for many, many years, think very deeply about this vocation, this holy vocation. Um, and it's hard within a couple of minutes to encapsulate the depths of your feelings. But how would you uh, sketch what you think is the major differences of what a Rav would need when you began your career and let's say a Rav starting today? What would you say is one of the... And of course, we know how the world has changed, but how has that altered what the Rabbanim themselves need?
1: Well, I would just like to put a little tiny... I think probably the most important addition to the rabbinic toolkit in the modern period is a rov has to be capable of being both a manager and an entrepreneur because the style of lay leadership has shifted over the years. The structure of communities has shifted a great deal. And in my grandfather's rabbinate, the rov's obligations were very very, uh, circumscribed. Centering on his drasha on Shabbos, and of course pastoral responsibilities to check in on the sick, to perform at, uh, at 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 milestone life occasions, but even those performances were very formal, and you know the rabbi would meet with the chassan and once or twice, and he would go over to the family before levaya, um, and so. And, and a rabbi had no beeper, he had no cell phone. If he was in a large congregation, perhaps he had a secretary and he would return his calls at his leisure. It meant that, but in terms of uh, in the support of the community, in terms of the programming of the community, this was largely in the hands of responsible laymen. And The assumption was if we were a few dollars short at the end of the year, in most shuls there was one gvir and he would uh, bust the chops of the board members a little bit and then he would write the check and close the deficit, which might be you know, $7,000 and life would go on. Now it is true. Generally speaking, the Rabbonim of that period were not terribly well paid and things like you know, uh, weddings and funerals, but also in some communities, things like Mechir chametz were a very important part of the rabbi's income. It wasn't an easy life per se, but it was a rather secure life. And it was a life lived at a very reasonable pace. Beginning in the in the late 70s and early 80s, Orthodox synagogues became more and more rabbinocentric. Leaders looked at rabbis as the the dynamo that drove the enterprise, which meant rabbis were looked to to do a lot of the programming. Uh, rabbis were also uh, became fundraisers. Up to that point, if the rabbi if the rabbi was used for, you know, major fundraising. Maybe if it was a building campaign, he would go to the top five, um, you know, uh, capable people and he would speak to them and they would give the donation. It was an honor to be visited by the rabbi. But by and large, the day-to-day, year-to-year running of the shul was not his was not his department. That's why many rabbis historically did not attend board meetings. It wasn't because they wanted to lock the rabbi out of the affairs of the shul, it was because they were freeing the rabbi. But um, I I think you could almost trace this, this is my theory, to Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, Shlita, who essentially took Yeshme Ayin on the west side and created the heroic rabbinate, in which the rabbi was this magnetic force. And around him, everything coalesced. Uh, And
0: it's possible. I mean, of course, we're talking about the Lincoln Square uh, synagogue. Where he served as at the beginnings, sort of a, quite of a young fellow when Very, he started. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we know him again as Stevie <laughs> Stevie Wonder, almost right, because he was so incredible. Um, he was a uh, he was Native a of talent. Yes, yes,
1: of incredible talent around him. I mean, a real camp lot. But what also happened? Let me just. Why did this model become mm-hmm. more and more entrenched, even in communities? where they didn't necessarily select rabbi I mean how many rabbi riskins are there Um, something has happened in our society and I think it has to do with the nature of communication and media etc the average person has become more and more fragile in the face of confrontation people are capable of great anger but they don't like dealing with things face to face and so the rabbi became the lightning rod. And so when things were difficult, the Balabatim would get together and they say, rabbi, you talk to him. And this has, this has added an element of tremendous stress to the rabbi's life. I think that in what you would call modern orthodoxy, modern orthodoxy itself as the spectrum it represented stretched from both on the left and the right. There was almost no centrist rabbi who did not find himself uh, as a kind of a career diplomat holding together communities which had elements in them which in in many ways were pulling in, in two different directions. So it was not at all unusual. And, and some of my information comes from 20 uh, some years of mentoring young rabbis. Many of whom were interns in my synagogue, but many who I just um, you know, became close with around the country. In mentoring young rabbis, there's hardly a community where you don't have someone who's pushing the rabbi to raise the mechitza. And someone else who's asking the rabbi to pass the Torah over it to the ladies on Simchas Torah. And it can be in the same, the very same shul. And it's not as if, it's not as if communities have infinite resources. So that if these various dervishes whirl off into their own orbits, it makes it very difficult to have the critical mass, both in terms of population, but also in terms of economics, to continue to run a major organization that can provide the kind of scope of services and depth of a professional staff that a large synagogue requires. And so rather than being the force in the synagogue who is in charge of leading the light brigade in the literal sense toward the light of, of, of principally being focused on how do I bring about a greater atmosphere of Shmiras HaMitzvos and, and, and HaBotsa Satora, the rabbi's the rabbis' work is, is uh, his energies are vitiated by the need to be the diplomat.
0: And in it's, it's, you know, it's possible, you know, as I hear you describing it, uh, uh see, obviously from the trenches and understanding it, I, I, I sort of feel that what you're describing in a way is uh parallels what was happening. Let's say I only know the United States, of course, and maybe Europe, I think, is, is a little bit different, even in terms of what they expected from their rabbis in the United States. That period. Of the, of the, starting from the late 60s, moving into the 70s, you had a, a, um, a, a, a disassembling of, where, of what a community and a society was. Um, there was, you know, the me generation, the generation that was, was not just after change, but also in terms of how their, their consumerism and what they wanted from in an individualistic way there, you know, there, we do. Although neither of us remember the Eisenhower years with great uh, clarity, or we weren't even there, we have a sense that in the fifties there was a, a, there was a certain uniformity, a certain um, button down aspect that people pretty much accepted and gave in. And if there was, but as the sixties got wilder in the 70s and things started moving out there was almost this idea in society in general that you know i want to you know i want to do what makes me feel good i want to do where where i'm going um the the and i think that probably trickled down or developed within the jewish world as well so you have a community that that same community 20 years ago didn't make the demands from the rabbi because you know they were much more conventional um here,
1: I think it, I think that is in a sense true, but it's also missing the fact that there were other kinds of forces at work. When you're talking about the late 40s, 50s, and into the 60s, the pressure of the conservative movement on orthodoxy, which was truly the pressure of the American mainstream, uh, the, the, liber- the liberal. Protestant mainstream of America with concepts like the family that prays together, stays together. Um, and indeed, the synagogue, uh, the larger synagogues, were really viewed as, you know the central, the central anxiety was that, that the Orthodox shul should be able to measure up against the Reformed Temple and that the Reformed Temple should be able to measure up against the Episcopalian Church. In other words, Jews were very anxious about being part of the great American enterprise, particularly after World War II, particularly when the world was truly behind Israel as its, its salve to its conscience over the Shoah, and the, the support of Israel in places like Hollywood, even by non-Jewish um, celebrities was remarkable in that time. It was the safest thing in the world. You couldn't, you couldn't go wrong. And this put, it put a great deal of pressure on orthodoxy because the values by which we were being judged were other. Now it is true that with the, in the post-Vietnam era, with the advent of egalitarianism and various other things, um, and with the spiraling intensity of personal communication, the expectation of availability on the part of a rabbi has just gone through the roof. In orthodoxy, it's even worse because if people ask for a Shaila, they want an answer virtually immediately, but never mind your If they need a letter to get their kid into camp, if they want a, they want an answer whether a certain caterer that their third cousin once removed has invited them to, in in a in some hamlet, in in some area where there hasn't been an Orthodox synagogue, you know, since 1920. And they want to know, can I eat there? And they want it immediately. And so the the idea of the, the, the simple capacity to maintain focus, to be uh, to be able to spend time, to think, um, to relax, to pursue life, and even even to devote oneself to family. Tremendous pressure has been created in all of those areas. Uh,
0: you know, I, you know I, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking that, as, as you gave some examples about some of the questions, I think another thing that changed was, and again, of course, I, I come from Memphis, and things were a little bit different there. But I think another thing that changed was that the Balabatim, although they didn't necessarily become great scholars, their level of learning and knowledge of Torah and and other ideas connected to Torah expanded. And therefore, it wasn't just there was a challenge to keep them uh, involved and interested, but also the the types of questions became more sophisticated the rabbi and and more complicated. Uh, The rabbis of the 50s and 60s, although it was an orthodox shul and the people became more orthodox, the the learning level was 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 much smaller, and the and therefore the rabbi didn't have to be the not only the smartest guy in the room as Michael Broyd and others have said the rabbi's got to show himself there, uh, but the the quite the list that he would lead the, that he would have to field weren't as complex, um, and. And, and the rabbi didn't necessarily have to be able to as you say you know like like bobby fisher be able to to play 20 games of chess and, and each one be able to say checkmate at each point because his you know the, the people he was ministering with didn't really have the 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 learning chops i think that that's probably fair to say that's not to say that they weren't any less connected to the ideals of judaism but in terms of the types of shyless I'm sure the average American rub didn't get the type of questions that he was getting in the 70s and 80s.
1: I, I think that's true. I think there's another wrinkle as well. As time has passed, a greater and greater percentage of the members of Orthodox synagogues are the products of day schools, which means that they have been in the hands of many more rabbis and educators. Um, unfortunately, many of them with uh, unfortunate experiences. And so they come, even the ones who did not become learned, um, they became, shall we say, um,
0: jaded, uh, <laughs> jaundiced.
1: They, they became immune to the concept of reverence. And uh, so as far as some types were concerned, uh, the rabbi of the shul was, was not someone to be held in, in, to be held aloft in high esteem, unless he really earned it. I mean, there are rabbis who are beloved. It's interesting. You will find places, the successful rabbis, people always talk about how they are beloved because there, frankly, very little reverence in the <laughs> society. So if the rabbi is loved, then fine. If the rabbi is not loved, there are not too many categories left with which he can earn success. And part of that is because the the, the, the overexposure to people called rabbi. I mean, remember that in a, you know, in a little town in southern Germany, you know, there was the Lehrer who was held in great esteem, the teacher, and maybe there was a rabbi who came every fourth Shabbos. And these German rabbis were not the most learned, not the most highly trained. But they were held in such in, in, in such reverence and treated, treated very, very um, delicately. And, and, and there was, you know, if, if the rabbi came to, to a person's house, now I'm not saying that I, you know, I think that we need to hearken back to those days, but I don't think that the position of the rabbi in the community is necessarily uh, linked. To the quality of the rabbis, rabbis plural, learning or preparation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't think that I don't think that the the difficulties of the rabbinate have come because the rabbis are have brought it on themselves. If anything, and I've worked with young rabbis over you know over all the years, and and I think that the quality of the young men who go into the rabbinate. Is remarkably high. the the levels of idealism, the, the, the levels of learning. I mean, I've had some interns who are really as as very very young men, you know, serious with real, as you would say, learning chops. And it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to uh, to be a factor. In the extent to which they're treated like a wiffle
0: ball. It sounds like, we, as you said before, and we talk about, you know, Rabbi Riskin, um, who was able to combine this dynamic personality with a, a an incredible inventive, um, close to a brilliant <laughs> perception of things. I mean, he right. his Druish um, and I worked with Rabbi Riskin uh, in a number of, of ways in the past. You know, his drush is original and mm-hmm. and powerful, and but he also is able to package it with such a love and such. So it, it, it's such a high standard. It, it, it's almost, I think, you know, it's it, it's very hard to create. You know, I don't say they broke they broke the mold, but it's very hard for rabbis to be like that super rov in the sense uh, to have the dynamism to have the geschmack to have the personality at the same time to have the learning ability and the ability to answer and the ability to 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 wow you with with the drusha as well those things it's almost like what you're asking for is 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 quite quite rare and 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 and, and i would assume in search committees and i've been involved i myself have tried out in the rabbinate and have been candidates by various and had to um, submit to the search committees and uh, you know and it's and and I, and I've heard you know what what it is that they're looking for and and what things mean the most. Would you say that in the rabbinate of today, uh, if there'd be a question between the personality, the dynamism, uh, the ability to to inspire versus the Torah um, capabilities? I'm, I'm sure the, the, the former would probably carry the day in most of the modern Orthodox communities. Isn't that correct? Or maybe even beyond that.
1: This, as, as the late Rabbi Avigdor Miller Zatzal used to say occasionally, he says, this is a very big topic and we wouldn't have a chance to talk about it. <laughs> there is a great deal to be said, how much in public I'm not sure, about the process Through which not only through which rabbis are chosen, the process through which their careers are guided and managed, the extent to which they are held as what they are, the precious resources of the Jewish community, most irreplaceable, because we don't have enough good people to fill in all the places we need them. If not, and I'm not ashamed to say this, if not for Chabad, we would not be able to provide the manpower needed for Judaism in the 20th or Orthodox Judaism in the 21st century. They are they are, the, they are the real powerhouse. And the people who understand leadership as a resource to the extent that they understand how to support Shaluchim who are, of course, hundreds and thousands of people whose capabilities vary, whose temperaments vary, whose situations vary, but they are able to provide them with the kind of support which makes it possible for them to succeed in the vast majority of their placements. But they're not succeeding because every one of them is rabbi risk they are succeeding because they have the army has an army behind
0: it. Well, again, you know, I, I would just push back just for a minute here. And, and of course, I am a very big admirer of Chabad and um, the Chabad Machshova especially. But even the personalities them, the, themselves, the leaders of, of, of Chabad Chasidus, are, uh, are, are incredible, incredible people. The Rebbe and you know, I used to write under a nom de plume of Talmud Arav, and it meant three people, <laughs> you know. It meant Rav Cook and it meant the Alter Rebbe um, and 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 the Rav. So I I I I felt often, you know, that the Chabad is is a Chabad's footprints is great, but I think there's a big difference between. Teenek and and Riverdale and Bismarck, you know what I'm saying? Or Mumbai, uh, or um, you know, or, you or know, that, Des is a,
1: that is yesterday's chabad, because in many communities, first of all, throughout England and in, in countries in Europe, but in in Florida, for example, the congregations, the large institutional congregations. Are being run by Chabad Rabboni.
0: Hmm. I say I, I wasn't aware. I knew that they, I studied in Florida for four years and I was familiar with Rabbi Lisker and, 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 and much of what he built up in Miami. Um, but I wasn't aware that, you know, I thought that, the, you know, Ephraim Goldberg, of course, is the rabbi in the big show in Boca. I didn't, but you're saying the
1: Chabad in community after community, especially the, as the communities develop. They've proven their capacity to direct main mainstream schools, and that is, a, you know, it's a little threatening to uh, people who are, you know, some of the people in the modern Orthodox um, camp. But instead of being threatened, we should have for years been looking at the playbook, which provides the kind of support which gets great leadership out of perhaps only moderate talent. And we and, have not, we've not
0: mastered that. And part of it, of course, is the, although, you know, Chabad is very rich in terms of its ideas, there is a certain uniformity of approach that, again, we could probably spend a whole different podcast talking about uh, the, the, the the pros and cons of, you know, saying over my marm from the Rebbe, uh, con- Completely and totally, and basically having blinders to other things which are in the wealth of of Torah knowledge. Um, but you know, I, again, it does surprise me a little bit. I, I that you believe that they should have been the model, and and perhaps if that was the case, there would be less of a uh, of, of if you not a crisis I, in the rabbinate.
1: I'm not. I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not saying they should be the model. I'm saying that when it comes to the responsible stewardship of leadership as a resource of the Jewish people, as precious as an irreplaceable library, as precious as 10,000 Sefret Torah, they hold on, they preserve their talent, they support their Rabbonim, we burn
0: them up. It's and, very much, very much taken well, and, and I, I, well I respect that.
1: Languish and loneliness, and without, without the mechanisms, without the structures.
0: And, and again, part of it, I think, really, you know, Jonathan has to do with the the strength of all Hasidic movements, which is that there's there, there's power in numbers. Um, there's something about. Uh, you know, you go into a Hasidish community. And of course, there's there's the cover they have for the rov, but you can have a, a, a koil yungaman who's writing svarim, davening and shul next to a plumber. Uh, and, and they both are davening with the same mislavus and, and the same sort of Gishmach and shmeichel. And that is something which, um, and, and there's a simcha, whether it's the connection to the history of the Hasidus or the actual personality of the rebbe, um, all of that allows for a, a strength in the community and, and and obviously the reverence and respect to to continue generation after generation there aren 't these existential crises and chabad has that as well because wherever they are, um, they realize they have the Kiishuchhem and they have the interconnectivity um, you know, that 's part,
1: that's part of the support for right. people who spend fifty out of fifty two years uh, weeks a year. In a place where they're lucky if there's a minion on Shabbos, and raise children there, and do that, and manage to do that, a kina is not enough to accomplish that. Otherwise, everyone would have one, and you know, you give a guy right. a week, he'd, he'd come to a convention, go home, and 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 then and, and then go like the door sale so, for the next, uh... oh,
0: no, no, I, 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 they, like I say, they come from, and again, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm, familiar with their, with the, the, the zal and the other aspects of their yeshiva, which really, again, create a network of, of connectivity that's, right. that's astounding. And I think that is what holds them, as you say, holds them together. That network of connectivity doesn't exist in the non-Hasidic world. Um, You know, we could play Jewish geography a little bit, but that's very far from being a network of connectivity.
1: Um, uh, Right. You're absolutely right. Also, and I just, maybe we should finish with this. We don't have a culture of leadership. A Chabad child doesn't mean they don't produce doctors and lawyers and, and plumbers and everything. If you have a child who is a mtsuyanu or a Matsuyenis, the boys and the girls, the greatest aspiration of their lives, which is enforced and reinforced throughout their education, is shlichus. In a modern Orthodox synagogue, if a young man comes in and says he's going to be a rav, People offer his parents their deepest sympathies. <laughs> Everybody makes the joke. Well, it's no profession for a Jewish boy. blah, blah, blah. It's it's not it's not really just a joke. It's not what our communities revere.
0: You know, I know you wanted we want to put a a a a, a period on this, and before we do, I think that, and 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 neither of us, I think, agree. With what you hear that this, you know, the COVID has been, you know, a a a total game changer across the board in in society, but I, I think we need to at least own up to the fact that for a year or so, um, we, you know, the dynamism of a rov and other aspects of the rov withered away because people were in their homes and people didn't go to shul, and whether they were in a backyard minion or not, do you think that the COVID experience can cause a rethinking about, well, what is it that the rabbi does for me? What is it that I need the rabbi for? When I'm not going to shul and hearing him or um, being involved with him, I, I believe that there there should have been in the minds of most people, I know I myself thought about what is a community and what is uh, the purpose of a Rav and a Shul when you can actually spend a year or more not in such a place. Um, do you think that that is going to perhaps alter and, and maybe for the better, possibly, the, the, the ideas of what, the, what, what, what we're going to want from Rabbanim from this point on?
1: Well, I think it depends on the generation. I think it, for people, let's say over forty, I think the COVID experience. I think in many schools the rabbanim worked so hard and managed to find ways to make people feel connected. Um, and if anything, that they they emerge from COVID with a sense of great indebtedness. What we are seeing across the country, though, is that the millennials, the millennials who are the perennial problem children of community life, because they are the first generation raised on a cell phone, um, they are proving harder to attract back, harder to get back into the habit of minion. In in, in populations where they are observant but not devout if there's a category one could say after a year of being with their children on Shabbos morning you know trying to remember why was it they needed to go to a shul anyway I think in communities with with, of that generation there is going to be some questioning and the questioning of whether you know
0: whether they need to spend one hundred and fifty or two hundred thousand or whatever it is to pay their rabbi, because I don't those think
1: it's a rabbi question. I think it is a shul question.
0: Yeah, and the shul...
1: generally in America, and this is a paradox: the rabbinate as an institution is stronger, and the shul is weaker. It is the Orthodox synagogue which is really, really. In a slow drift downward, as being a, a largely unsupportable expense. The model is the model. If it isn't sinking, it is certainly it is certainly uh, taking in water through many through many cracks. And you don't get the sense that there is a great deal of big picture thinking. About what community is going to look like, how it's going to evolve in ways that take into consideration the the the, con- the true contemporary facts, the important ones. But
0: maybe for them, um, right? So so. Right. Well, Rabbi, let's as, as 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 people of a similar vintage, let's hope that this new generation who really are they 're not just the leaders of the future they they are going to be the leaders of today, although our president is 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 close to be an octogenarian but still um, you know let 's hope that the Roeshom is able to uh, be uh, the type of wisdom that they would need and understanding that that can steward it uh, that they can be stewards for for the future in a way that um, uh, will vouchsafe to continue Jewish education, to continue Shemir Mitzvos, even though it might mean, as you say, uh, a decline of the synagogue as we know it. Um, but again, you know what Rokhaim Veloshner you know, um, said that um, when they talked about what was going to happen in Europe and uh, people were saying, even in the beginning of the 19th century, they were wondering, um, Perhaps, you know, Jews are going to America. You know, maybe this is, you know, because again, the, the, the rumblings of, 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 of oppression, a new styled nationalism hadn't reared its head yet, but there was still something there. And Rechaim spoke about America and he, he, his, he looked toward and out of the window as if he was looking into the future. And he said, America, America is the last distancia, it's the last station. And people said, well, what's the stancia? So this is Git, because if it's the last station, it means you know, the next stop, Mashiach. But then he said, it's going to be the last stop, but it's going to be a shiver stancia indeed. So thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.